Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. We are back with another episode of the AAF Exchange. On this episode, we will continue our ongoing discussion with Douglas Holtz-Aiken about the economic impact and response of the COVID-19 pandemic. Doug, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Great to be back. So you were on vacation last week. How, how was that? Uh, that was tremendous. Uh, we went to uh, a beach south of Bloomington, North Carolina, and sat on the, the porch and stared at the ocean and walked on the beach for a week. It was very, very relaxing. Hard to beat that. Yes. Um, but you're back. And so, you know, the big story of the week is, of course, that you are back. But the other stories going on this week um, are, of course, the confirmation hearing for Supreme Court uh, nominee Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. But also in the news are the growing concerns about a second wave of the coronavirus infections. Um, in fact, as experts predicted, a number of states are reporting a significant increase in COVID-19 cases. Um, is this fall spike already you know, baked into the predictions about the economy or is the outlook turning to a more prolonged recession here? Uh, I think the sort of resurgences, the, we have the regional spikes we saw earlier in the year and, and a broad resurgence as the weather gets colder, should have been baked into everyone's uh, economic forecasts. Um, you know, the public health experts told us beginning in February and March that uh, the virus was likely to evolve and that it would be uh, unwise to expect otherwise. And so if you looked at the Congressional Budget Office, for example, when it, it did uh, its projections for the economy, there was a V-shaped recovery that it got a fair number of people back to work quickly and, and got uh, the economy growing fairly rapidly, like you know double-digit rates in the third quarter. But then it slows down markedly in the fourth and, and, and in the 2021, and the unemployment rate remains fairly elevated through 2021. That's a tribute to this sort of tail effect of a, a second round of uh, infections and uh, people having to reduce their exposure to economic activity and sort of self-quarantine again, all of which tends to inhibit the, the pace of recovery. So I'm not surprised by any of this. I, I can't say that every forecaster had it in their you know, sort of uh, calculations, but they certainly should have been uh, in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. So so what about jobs? I mean, it seems like you know we hear these uh, – news bad news reports about furloughs and job cuts um what's the latest on business closings and cutbacks uh, at this point it looks like we are getting uh a lot of temporary layoffs being turned into permanent layoffs and so um the furloughs don't really result in fewer people working it just means that they're less likely to come back to that job so that's not literally always true but there's a lot of that going on uh that's that again that's always been a concern of mine. When 20 million people lost their jobs in April, 18 were classified as temporarily laid off. Uh, you know, if you were temporarily laid off in the airline, hotel, leisure, and hospitality sector, it wasn't obvious to me you you were going to be back very fast. And so I think we're seeing that. You know, the movie theaters, that's just not going to come back as fast uh, as anyone would would have hoped. So you know, the, the, that's a real phenomenon. Um, that's why the unemployment rate stays elevated uh, for, for a fair amount of time. And there are things that you can do about that, but none of them are quick or easy. Right? We can do worker retraining, move people to different jobs in different parts of the economy. 
do what we can to combat the virus, uh, do what we can to, to, as, to, as a result, get those industries back on their feet and at a scale that could bring everyone back. But it's going to take a combination of those efforts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned movie theaters, and I, I was just thinking that, you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of the people in the movie industry seem to be moving towards releasing stuff online. You know, Disney Plus just did it where you could purchase one of their new movies for an additional fee on top of their streaming service. And that seems to be, you know. The pandemic will accelerate some things that were going to happen anyway. I, You know, it's hard for me to imagine that the standalone movie theater was going to be the vehicle for first run release forever. Like, you know, if we get to to 2121, I'm betting not. And so yeah. the, the really question of when in between do you make that transition, this probably means that, that first-run movies start getting released in a streamed fashion, um, and, and they're just trying to work out how, in fact, to, to do that and, and recover the costs of, of these big uh, productions. So we'll, we'll see. The same is true for the transition from brick-and-mortar retail to, to online ordering with delivery. That, that was happening. Uh, you know, in, in 2019, we saw a lot of that going on, declines in retail employment, increases in warehouse employment. That's just Amazon and other fulfillment centers taking over the, the brick and mortar retail uh, operation. So this clearly accelerated that. I mean, that's a that's a big phenomenon. Yeah, I'll be interested. To, I mean, Prime, Amazon Prime Day was the last couple of days, and I'll be interested to see if there was any sort of spike in in the in people just shopping there rather than shopping at, in stores. Well, there's certainly in the data has been this, you know, sort of monthly phenomenon when they do the retail sales and then you sort of look at the top line to see if people are uh, buying much. And then you look at the categories and their numbers are just crazy, you know, sort of uh, electronic retail, so online retail up year over year, 38 percent or or higher and and traditional stuff down 25 percent. And it's just this shift. These are really big numbers. Yeah. Um, in terms of households, what impact is just the sheer length of the pandemic restrictions having on them, you know, the household budgets and, and all of that? So uh, the household sector as a whole uh, appears to be in pretty good shape. Um, there's still about a trillion more dollars in the bank than there was in, in February. And we have seen um, personal income growth, including transfers from the government, uh, remain fairly solid. And as a result, we've we've, we've kept the, the spending household for the household sector up. When you look at the micro data, um, low uh, households in, in, in low income zip codes, identify it, seem to be spending about 1% more than they did in January. It's the households in high income zip codes who are spending less. That's the phenomenon of affluent people not traveling, not going to the theater, not spending on any of these services that involve personal contact, they're down about 7% from January. So that, that's what's going on out there. I think the concern is going to be for the, the low-skill, low-wage uh, households. Um, for, for, the, for the remainder, so for people like me and hopefully people like you, um, you know, the recession's over, right? We, we, we're at work and um, uh, whatever uh, interference there was is, is, is gone. That's not true for low-wage workers. This is now a low-skill, low-wage uh, recession. Um, we've done things to supplement their their incomes and continue to get normal UI and extended benefits and things like that. But I think the concern most people have is that as the year goes on, that's going to uh, you know really deteriorate their capacity to maintain their spending and their their standard of living. And so 
a lot of the uh, thinking about another round of coronavirus legislation really revolves around those households, among other things. I, I, for example, think that, you know, it makes sense to do some more because the damage you do by doing too much in these circumstances is much less than the damage doing too little. So, you know, putting the politics aside, which is, of course, impossible, uh, I think there's a case that you can make uh, for, for additional help to those to those households. Mm -hmm. So there's a way that policymakers can look at this and say, we're going to target, you know, the aid to those uh, less affluent households. I, I think the, the, the only really real dividing line you have to decide about is, do you want to target unemployed individuals and thus help the households where people are unemployed? Or do you want to target low income people, at which would include uh, the, the transitorily low income because you're unemployed and those who are also typically low income, but they're back at work, you know, the, the latter is really send checks to people who are under an income threshold. And the, the former is bump up UI and, and get more money in that way. So they're, they're, they're and, and of course, they're not mutually exclusive. And, and you hear people making the case for both. Mm -hmm. What about the potential for another nationwide lockdown? Are we looking with, you know, in, in certain areas, or are we looking at maybe a regional lockdowns, or are we looking at sort of we've moved past lockdowns and we're just trying to deal with the virus as it is? Uh, my reading of the, the, the popular mood is that uh, the lockdowns are in the past, that there's not a tolerance for broad mandated quarantines uh, across large swaths. Um, so, you know, a couple of things to remember is you, you do have to go back and, and try to recover what was the rationale for a lockdown? And the rationale shifted over time. The original rationale, as, as uh, uh, elucidated by the public health experts, is to make sure that the healthcare systems are not overwhelmed by COVID-19 cases, and that, that the purpose of it was that. Uh, that then got transformed into, well, we're going to bend the curve and, and make sure that you know, the, the caseloads are going down. Uh, even if the, the hospitals are handling them just fine, but that bend the curve became the objective. In, in some cases, it then also morphed into, I want to get my caseloads down to a target. Like, you know, we, we should get rid of this thing somehow. Uh, each of those involved sort of longer periods of lockdown with greater economic damage. And I think the 2020 hindsight is that you, you really can go a long way if you socially distance, wear masks, and that the lockdown should come next in line. And they, if you can get really serious on the, those first two, you can you can make a lot of progress. And so I expect that to be the strategy going forward. And I would hope, quite frankly, that we, we don't ever get a national edict on one of these things, because we know that the conditions in Montana and the conditions in New York City are going to be completely different, right? Urban, dense, lots of people, you know, very rural. It's one of the reasons why I have trouble with comparisons to Europe. You know, Europe doesn't have many Montanas. We got we got a Montana, we got a North Dakota, we got a South Dakota, we got a bunch of places, right? They're sparsely populated, and, and it's going to look different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always make the joke that you know Vermont did really well throughout this, my home state of Vermont. But uh, you know, we were already socially distanced, anyways, because you know you got to travel a mile to get to your neighbor's house. Yes, <laughs> it, 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 it's a different proposition then. So it, it's right. one of those things where it just it, it makes sense to allow lower levels of uh, government states, localities to, to set some of the rules because you're you're tailoring it to local conditions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's move towards um, DC and the negotiations. 
Uh, yesterday, you spoke on Fox Business about the latest round of negotiations for another aid package. You know, at this point, I can't really keep up. Are we on again or are we off again right now? Um, we're, any both. Chance? we're both. Like, it, it, there, there's no way to tell at this point. Um, so uh, the negotiations have broken down on a regular basis. And so that's how they negotiate. <laughs> Got me. 2020, I guess. Any chance whatsoever we see something before the election? I don't think so. Um, I don't have any inside information, but my raw political calculus goes like this. Um, at this point in the cycle, the, the campaign for president is calling all the shots, right? If they don't want something to happen in Congress, it won't happen. And so everything revolves around the fact that the Biden campaign may or may not want a deal. And if, if I'm on the Biden campaign and I've got a, a fairly solid lead, uh, the right answer is don't change anything. Like don't cut a deal, don't don't do anything different. And so they, they're marching orders to their uh, colleagues in the Congress are gonna be, look, don't make a deal. So I, I think in a way that makes perfect sense, but it sounds cynical, Nancy Pelosi will continue to negotiate, but she will not ever get to yes. And that, that's gonna be a political reality. Um, if you are on the campaign and, and, and someone like me says, oh, how can you do that? The American people need some help. What they're going to say is, look, what they're going to get if we win this election is something that is so much better a little bit later than the deal we can cut now that it's worth it. And so they're, they're, they're doing this calculation every day. And, and that, so I, I'm, I'm not, not optimistic about them getting to yes. Um, but I do think the negotiations have fleshed out sort of where everybody is. And so when they do get past the election and we have some configuration of House, Senate, White House, we're going to know the positions well enough that they, the, the players can get to yes. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it, it might not even be worth it, but in the policy discussion right now, if we're, you know, just looking at, look, looking at that, what are some of the sticking points around those, around the negotiations other than there's a presidential election going on? There are some genuine sticking points and there always have been. And so, uh, you know, the, the request for business liability protection uh, by the Republicans is something Democrats never wanted to do. So that, that if that if there's going to be a genuinely bipartisan deal, that's going to have to be in there. Um, Republicans are going to have to figure out what watered down version from their point of view gets uh, put in and Democrats are going to have to swallow hard. Flip side of that is, you know, states and localities, Democrats have wanted uh, a lot more money. A trillion dollars was the starting uh, point. And, you know, Republicans started at zero. So that, that, that's going to have to get adjudicated, you know, somehow if they want to get to yes. And then there are things in, in the HEROES bill that are not anywhere else. And the question is, how many of those really are must have things for the Democrats and how many are things that would be nice. But, you know, in the end, we're going to we're going to jettison. And so um, there, there are some substantive policy differences. But I think the big ones, the liability, the state and local uh, government support, the the UI benefits. I think there's a way to get to yes on all of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, in other news, some confusing healthcare news. Um, last week, uh, AAF's Christopher Holt uh, noted in a in his latest weekly checkup column, uh, the Trump administration decided to send seniors a $200 prescription drug card. Um, but the media yesterday reported that these cards won't get delivered until after the election. What's going on here? Was this a good policy idea in the first place? No, it's hard to defend this um, as good policy. 
you know, if it's good policy, there has to be an explanation as to why 200, why now, um, why are you using uh, in, uh, demonstration project authority to do something for all seniors? Uh, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to commit to having discount cards, why not have Congress legislate them and have them be a regular part? You know, it, you know, again, you don't want to appear too cynical, but gee, I'm going to do this for seniors right before the election. Just the timing's just overwhelmingly suggestive. And so um, I, I, I can't defend this as good policy. And you know, the president got whatever he got out of the announcement effect. And, and if they arrive after the election, I'm not sure that changes things very much. OK, another headline I saw this week was um, that the IRS is closing in on the final stage of this incredibly strange tax season. Uh, of course, many of the filing deadlines were extended because of the coronavirus um, and many businesses and individuals uh, will have drastically different tax liabilities this year than in the past. How do you think the IRS will be able to navigate all these changes from this year? And also, how do you think revenues are going to look at the end of this year? Um, uh, I, I think the IRS is going to struggle objectively. Um, most people view the IRS as sort of um, understaffed and underfunded to some extent already. Uh, this has been an extraordinary uh, year. The filing extensions, um, all of the, the sort of executive orders on do you or do you not remit your payroll taxes, you know, things like that. It's, it's, so it, it, I think it's going to be um, complicated for the IRS and, and we should expect them to, to, to struggle through this, quite frankly. Um, what revenues are going to turn out to be like? Who knows? Uh, you know, we we took some very conscious steps to reduce liabilities, including uh, deferral of payroll taxes and, and then the option to defer individuals payroll taxes as well. Um, so, you know, that means that for this year, AAF, for example, is not sending in the employer share of, of, of your payroll taxes. But beginning in, uh, in in 2021, we will have an obligation to start making that up. And so the receipts um, for the year have to be down. But when you start looking at receipts, cash flow receipts, there's going to be a, a much bigger March payment and a much bigger June payment next year than there otherwise would be. And so everything about the usual seasonal patterns is going to be off. And, and the bottom lines, I think, are going to be very low revenues in 2020 because there's a huge recession and special provisions. And then weird recoveries in 2021 and 2022 as people pay back the special provisions. Mm -hmm. Well, any of the complications for that the IRS are looking at um, and having to deal with all this, will that trickle down to, say, businesses or even individuals? I don't think it, it'll it'll trickle down in a dramatic fashion for, for most people. Their returns really quite simple. You've got a W-2 and uh, you've got a return and, and you match them up and, and you're done. There's not much more than that. Most businesses uh, um, in terms of the the number of businesses are comparably small and don't have complicated taxes. They have they owe some payroll taxes. They have some 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 income taxes, perhaps. Um, the bulk of the income is generated by a relatively small number of bigger firms, and they they tend to have um, complicated taxes, and, and they will have a very complicated 2021, 20 and, 2020 and 2021. But they also have big legal staff that, that spend their entire time doing their taxes, so I don't worry about them very much. Gotcha. All right, so finally, uh, you wrote about a Gallup uh, study that showed, and I'm quoting, Americans' willingness to be vaccinated against the coronavirus has dropped 
percentage points, falling to 50% in late September. What is going on here? Why are people, you know, so skeptical? And do you think the poll numbers are real reflection of how Americans, of how many Americans would even get vaccinated if this was available? I think they are, and, and I think it's troubling. Um, so th they started out at about two thirds, and now we're down to half. Um, starting out at two thirds is a comment in and of itself, right? There's a there was a going in skepticism uh, about vaccines when we've heard about anti-vaxxers, the phenomenon of, of, of that distrust. Um, so that was out there. Uh, now you you layer on top of that the, uh, the literally Operation Warp Speed attempt to develop these vaccines at an accelerated pace, um, which um, I, I know a fair amount about and which I am quite confident has been done with complete scientific integrity. And, and one of the reasons you know that is They've been suspending trials appropriately when they when they should, and, and we've seen that happen three times now, and that's that's good news. Um, but the president has uh, openly tried to uh, overrule the FDA on what constitutes um, adequate um, proof that you have safety and efficacy, um, and, and that all of which would take longer. Um, you know. The, the badgering of the CDC and the FDA has been pretty constant. The FDA didn't help by having the head of the FDA stand up and, and make some claims that were not accurate about the plasma treatment that, that the president wanted to have um, given emergency use authorization. So I think they have damaged the public's perception of the, the integrity of the FDA and the safety of the resulting products. That's a, a horrible thing to do. Um, and so, you know, right beginning right now, the the operation has to be to educate the public about what's going on and rebuild their confidence in the process. And, and that should be doable because what's going on is, in fact, um, a, a really uh, high quality uh, development um, uh, effort on the part of the government and, and multiple pharmaceutical firms, which have bigger trials than typical. So we're covering a lot more people. Some of these are 60,000 people. Uh, and you know, the standards for um, proof of, of uh, safety and efficacy, you know, they, they to prove that they work, they're going to make that in the placebo part of the trial, right? Some people didn't get the vaccine. You're going to have to have at least five cases of COVID-19, and you're going to go long enough until you have at least five infections, and you can compare that versus the, the folks getting the vaccine. So does it really work? Let's find out. And on, on safety, you know, they, they've got the documentation. This is going to have to go on for at least two months and make sure that there's no reason to suspend trials. And so, yeah, I think that's that's sensible. Gotcha. So what should we be doing to further educate the public at this point? I mean, you mentioned all of the issues that we went through over the past, but going forward, I mean, we have to start, we have to get that number down from 50%. So the, I think the, you know, there are some things that are going on right now, at least in my eye, you, you see regularly Former FDA uh, commissioners, people like Scott Gottlieb, um, you know, um, sort of writing op-eds and uh, Mark McClellan did join op-ed with him, former FDA uh, director, you know, sort of explaining that, yes, this is exactly what should be happening, exactly what always happens. There hasn't been any political tampering with the actual process. You just, just people are worried about, you know, sort of trusted uh, voices sort of educating about what's going on. And certainly if the... Uh, if the former vice president, Joe Biden, is to wins the election, one of the first things that he should be thinking about doing is the day after the, the election is, is resolved, whatever that is, 
Um, you know, it might take a couple of days, but the moment he, he's declared the, the winner, um, you know, my experience is in a crisis, that person is president. You don't get to wait until the inauguration. All eyes are on you and the things you say are the, the important public message. So they, they need to be prepared to stand up and say, these are the folks we're going to have run HHS and, and FDA. Um, look, they're high quality individuals and they need to start talking. And, and that's the voice that should be heard. Gotcha. So in, in other things going on this weekend, as we all try and get through this pandemic, it looks like we finally are going to have a full slate of football again. Both the teams that were out back, fingers yep. crossed. Uh, hopefully we'll get some of that this weekend. Yeah. What else is going on? Following this too closely, but the Steelers are 4-0, and they haven't been 4-0 since 1979, which was the year they won the Super Bowl. I mean, just saying. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, <laughs> if it helps, the last time the Patriots started the season 2-2, two and two, we also won the Super Bowl. But, you know, more recent history for you, in case you want to. With, 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 with um, projections using one data point, you know. They, they... <laughs> That's what football is all about. You just use your latest data point to convince yourself that, you know, the season's going to be great. Well, um, on that note, I will simply recognize that in the next three weeks, the Steelers play the Browns, who are four and one, the Titans, who are undefeated, and the Ravens. They could be four and three pretty quick. The Titans uh, so look be interesting. The Titans did look pretty good on Tuesday, so yeah. that's that's going to be a tough one. Um, all right, Doug, thanks again. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again in two weeks now, not next week, but the week after, since we are going to bi-weekly. Great. Talk to you then. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.